Welcome to episode 204 of Red World Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is Gulfstream Park's very own Brian Natto. Me and Brian go over races from this past Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Those races are 8, 10, and 11. And some angles that we talk about are why it's so important to have inside post positions for 7.5 and 1-mile and races. And we also talk about how some horses' bad trips this weekend could come back and help us Pegasus weekend in a few weeks. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old Let's welcome in my special guest for this new year edition of Red Board Rewind. Very happy to have my good friend, Brian Natto on. Brian, how are you? Hey, Spence. Good to hear from you and happy holidays and a new year. And uh, yeah, everything's good. Thanks for having me on, man. It's good to catch up. It's been a little while. Absolutely. Glad to have you aboard. And of course, if it's the new year, that means Pegasus right around the corner. Gulfstream Park's the place to be. And we had quite a nice card over the weekend, man. A lot of Pegasus, you know, prep races getting ready to see what we're going to have towards the end of the month weather hasn't been the best but you know we're we're, we're trying along here yeah no doubt about it i think the weather's behind us knock on wood uh we had a very trying couple two or two weeks or so um here in, in south florida the rains it was like a summer kind of rain session where we we actually had to cancel three races on a saturday card it was so bad and the whole weekend was was blown out, but I, I think all that's behind us. A little bit of a cool, cool weather, but uh, everything's good looking going forward. And uh, we've got some good weekends. But as you said, January 27th, of course, Pegasus World Cup Day is really kind of starting to come front and center with the races that we just ran last weekend as a sort of a preview day. Uh, I feel like me and you have these conversations every year. And, you know, there's so many horses that used to retire Breeders' Cup. That was it. Now they kind of stay on a couple more races and then they decide to retire after Pegasus. Do you think that's kind of, you know, helped the longevity of these guys who are so we're still going to get to see two or three races out of? Or is it kind of, you know, is there a better spot we could really put it in the calendar? I love the fact that Pegasus is kind of like fresh new year. Okay, Breeders' Cup is in the rear view. Now you kind of get a big day at Gulfstream Park to kind of, you know, set the set your eyes on for the 2024 season. Yeah, I mean, you know, $3 million does a lot to keep horses <laughs> around, that's for sure. And I think the, the cool – I think the beauty of the Pegasus is it is actually um, – it, it's pretty well spotted on the calendar because you can still regroup after the breeders cup classic um, in early November, but you don't have to have complete downtime where you, you really need to gear up. You can kind of still stay in light training and then get ready for the Pegasus. And of course, you know, the lucrative races in the middle East are later in February and in March. So the Pegasus kind of hits at a pretty soft spot uh, on the curve uh, for the races pro before and after. And I think that's why it's been pretty well received since it's, ex since it's inception. 
uh, several years back now. You know, we've had, you're right though, we've had a lot of horses that have used it as as their swan song, so to speak. Uh, California Chrome did it, not very successfully, that is. But, um, you know, there's been a lot of horses um, over the years that, that have shined in the Pegasus and then kind of went off to, uh, to stud. And, you know, this year's field is, is still shaping up, but uh, we're very optimistic that, as always, we'll have a, a, a you know, an all-star cast. I th- think so when we talk about just soft spots in the calendar and, and listen, we have a hard enough time with races being run on top of each other, let alone finding where, where the state races fit. And obviously every year they downgrade, upgrade, upgrade races. It's a whole big Twitter sphere thing where people figure out what's a good race. What's a bad race. I think for me going into this year, you know, not really focusing on the calendar, but it's almost like an extra pillar. Now in your handicapping, you really need to figure out just, why the horses and it sounds so trivial but why the horses in this spot specifically sometimes it's not just about the class drop or a horse going from an n1x into a grade one race like how have the trainers done with this move recently even if it's you know todd up in new york now he's down in Gulfstream, or in prior years that's why drf formulator is such a big big thing to have in your handicapping repertoire i i think now so 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 much going on with you know speed class form and pace a lot of it now just leads to us having to put some of that on the back burner and look at connections and why the horse is here. And, you know, form cycles are almost coming back into, you know, promising spots more than just the overladen buyer figures of, you know, this horse ran 99. He's going to run that again. Okay. He's going to win. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. We'll talk about it when we look at the Harlan's Holiday coming up. But, you know, there were certain horses in the Harlan's Holiday. I'll just use uh, – I'll use um, a a few as an example. I keep wanting to call call him Skippy Longstocking. I don't know why, but I wanted to say O'Connor. I don't know why I always want to do that. But, you know, O'Connor was a type of horse – that was, you know, you know, the Pegasus is the main goal. So in theory, the Harlan's holiday was just a prep for him, but there were other horses in the race that had to prove their metal. There were allowance horses and even a New York traffic that maybe the Pegasus was a bridge too far. So you can say, wow, these kind of horses are really primed for today. And you always have to look at that uh, when you're handicapping, you know, what's the goal today, but, or is there a goal down the road? And I do agree with what you're saying. Uh, that that's a very, very important aspect, especially in this day and age when a lot of trainers always, always seem to have the big picture in mind. Whereas maybe in years past, it was always the race in front of you that that was, you know, front and center. And we're trying to win today kind of thing. One of the races we're going to get to a little bit later on the uh, the Swanee River. How important to you when obviously Gulfstream Park being the, you know, the speed bias kind of track, everyone wants to be on the inside and on, on the lead. How important is it to you to look at sort of post positions? Obviously, when you look at the diagram in the DRF for the Swanee River, we're getting up close to that first turn there. I mean, how important is looking at post positions when you're looking at, you know, two turn races going into that first turn pretty close up on that right hand side? Yeah, I mean, if you're seven and a half in a mile uh, outside post positions, they're just utter doom and in big in full fields. You're just not going to win from out there. It's virtually uh, impossible. You've also got to look at the rail settings, too. And they've been out. Um, we had some 73 feet um, last weekend, which is something I don't ever remember using seeing here. Um, so, you know, you get fresh ground that's going to theoretically cater to speed horses so you have to definitely 
factor all of that into the equation. Um, the mile in the 16th race of the Harlan's Holiday, very short run to the first turn, also a short finish line race. So that comes into play too. And then, you know, for the Pegasus in over three weeks now, they have nine furlongs on the main track, Florida Derby as well. Uh, boy, that is a darn quick run to the first turn if you're outside. So you better hustle. And it is a definite major disadvantage for sure. And when people always hear that, I think they're so quick to, okay, inside horses, we're going to downgrade outside horses. We upgrade. Is there a specific, you know, spot for a horse where it's like, okay, he lost, but he lost by maybe less than three lengths or he was within five lengths. Is there a specific thing where you kind of circle it and you're like, okay, let me go back, watch that replay, make sure it was as bad as it looked, but I'm definitely going to upgrade him going into the next race. Well, you know, any horse going a mile, going seven and a half furlongs or a mile, that's probably nine post or out. I think you can elevate uh, going next time if they're drawn inside, because the bottom line is they're either going to lose a lot of ground with that such a quick run to the first turn, um, or they're going to tuck back to not lose ground and, and, and therefore lose a lot of position. So either way, it's, it's a, it's not ideal. And those are the type of horses you definitely want to move up the next time around, provided they get a much better draw. And in a way, it's almost like a sneaky form idea where you almost want to see them. Okay. They'll get the better post position, but you don't want to see a drop in class because then everyone else will realize, Oh, horses dropping in class ran. Okay. Last time everyone always wants to be on those class droppers dropping. It's almost like, Oh, he's at 25,000. Let's keep him there. Oh, look, he gets an inside post. Now you kind of have an idea the horse only lost by three or four lengths last time. He kind of fits with this group. No one is a, a killer in this race. Now we get a better draw. Maybe the favorite draws outside. And that's where I think you can find these horses where, you know, they call it the, you know, dirtied up form. And all of a sudden they won it for 25 bucks. And if you just kind of really focus in on a specific track as you do. And as I do when it comes to Saratoga in the summer, that's where you find these random $25 horses that a lot of people can't explain. But really, if you break it down, you can find those nice little uh, solid winners. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's so much more now than just everybody can read a form and get figures and even work, you know, workout reports and all that stuff. So you got to just you got to try at least to find something that is maybe a little more hidden that people actually have to do the work for to come up with. And I, and I do think that, you know, trips are, are definitely at the top of the list. Let's move into the first race of our podcast tonight. We're going to talk about race number eight from this past Saturday at Gulfstream Park. It is the grade three Swanee River, one mile on the turf course. A couple I liked in here, uh, Saffron Moon ends up getting scratched out. Not going to leave a lot there. I thought Walkathon was a little bit interesting here from the three hole with Ho with uh, Joe Bravo on Ian Wilkes training. Just horses in these kind of spot three for six on the turf, obviously likes the green stuff and if you look kind of through that last race in the cardinal wicked fast pace ends up backing up that's the kind of race where you know okay i'll, I'll give him that race was closing two back had a speed favoring track and ended up finishing third i'm not thinking walkathon can win this but definitely a board a board hit you know finishing out in exactus and trifecta is something that i thought this one could do but i couldn't get away from full count felicia i just thought if you look at the last couple races uh, seems like an in and outer 91, 84, 95, 89. I kind of wrote nine with a question mark. Are we going to see another 90? This one definitely takes money each and every time. Brittany Russell had a, having a really good year, 26%. And obviously we all know the IRAD money is coming. I, I just thought that this one broke the main at colonial. 
then wins at Laurel, back at Colonial. Needed to, you know, show up on the big stage here. But a 90 in this race just gets it done compared to everybody else. What about your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the scratch, I had a long shot in here, Willakia. So the scratches in here were very, very significant. You mentioned Saffron Moon. It was a total play against for me. But I liked Willakia. Uh, and, and then, you know, so the scratches took any value out of the race. Um, I scratched into fastest flight. Brian Lynch has been just so hot at the meet and, and everything uh, he has sent out has not only been live, but has been bet off the board. Um, this is actually a good exercise in reading the tote board too. I, I, I had made fastest flight the morning line favorite in this race and full count Felicia just to tick off. Um, I probably in hindsight was wrong on that because of the IRAD factor and she was coming out of a grade two race. But I think the point being is more that, you know, when you read the tote board, especially after the scratches okay you can see full count felicia being favored but fastest flight went off at four to one in this race which was completely dead on the board not only when you factor in that she's a stakes winner and has a win over the turf here at gulfstream park but also that brian lynch has been so hot and everything he sent out has been bet off the board so those are things to look for look look for going forward um as well and and so uh, that was very odd to me. Like I said, I did still scratch into fastest flight. I thought at, the one horse I thought that was somewhat interesting after the scratches was accomplished girl, not only because the scratches probably help her a little bit. The fact that she's a one turn sprinter and as fast as anybody we have at Gulfstream park. And she was entered on Sunday to run in a turf sprint and Safi Joseph actually opted to elect to run here. So I thought that was very interesting as well but to me um after scratches and in my in my rainbow this was just uh nine four for me and i think so when you look through and we'll we'll talk about accomplished girl real quick the only one stretching out in the field and you know it's something that if you read a bunch of the handicapping books it's like you know who's the weird runner out of all of them well everyone's been on the turf everyone's been routing all of a sudden we have a sprinter in here and the fact that safi opts to go into this and not the sprint I don't know if there was a big difference when it comes to the purses and all that, but that should be a big move. And the horse took money too off of a, you know, double digit morning line. Everything is kind of saying yes to this horse, but like you had said too, the opposite for the Brian Lynch horse. And when I see, you know, favorites and horses that, you know, for, for good morning line makers and they have horses that are low priced odds and they just go the opposite way. I'd like to know how many times those horses actually win at those decent odds. Probably still not good enough to end up making your own money. And like you said, too, you just ended up scratching into a horse. How many times do we make money scratching into a horse when when one of our better horses scratches out? I can't remember the last time I scratched into a horse and won a race. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like I said, I made her five to two, and there were uh, 40. 42 points are out on the morning line, seven to two and six to one. So, you know, I, I figured she would be eight to five and, and maybe I was wrong and full count Felicia would be seven to five. She went off at 4.2 to one, which just to me screams absolutely dead on the board. And, and, uh, 
you know, that was very worrisome, especially with the way that they sent it in on, on full confidence. She had accomplished girl was actually the second choice. Now she was four and a uh, third choice. Okay. She was four and a half to one, which kind of makes sense off a 10 to one with so many horses out. But again, the fact that they did not bet fastest flight as all would be a very, very uh, red flag kind of sign to me. Brian ends up scratching into the Brian Lynch runner that being fastest flight. I end up going with some chalk here with full count Felicia. Let's see who gets it done here in the Shawnee river right now. And they're off in the 74th running of the Swanee river stakes. From the center, Sister Luann had accomplished their girl. The first two to break up to the outside. Fastest flight comes away in the top flight. These three are quickest. This race favorite, full count Felicia, finds herself in a great spot early. She's fourth well down inside. Tecalera is next. Then it's Pocamucha. Second last, Walkathon. The early trailer is Mesador. Around the first turn they go. Sister Luann establishes the pace. She leads by a length. Fastest flight is flanking her while racing in second. An accomplished girl. She's third at the inside. Followed fourth by Tecalera. Full count Felicia's in the black. She's down inside. Only about three and a half lengths off the speed. Back from there, it's Walkathon with Pocamucha. And the trailer is Mesador. The quarter time was 23 and fours. They head to the half mile point. It's jockey Jose Ortiz and Sister Luann on top by a length and a half. Fastest flight under a stronghold from Saya's second and biding her time. Accomplished girl is third while down inside. From fourth, that's Tecalera, then full count Felicia. Still ridden with some confidence at this point. Ahead of Walkathon, then Pocamucha, and the trailer is Mesador. They make their way to the final quarter of a mile of the contest. Sister Luann, she has the lead. From the outside, fastest flight. From the inside, accomplished girl. Walkathon, Tecalera, full count Felicia, and Mesador are next. They're at the top of the stretch. With the advantage, it's Sister Luann. Full count, Felicia looks for room toward the rail. Down the center, it's accomplished girl. Here comes full count Felicia. She got through at the rail. Down the center, accomplished girl. And the late innings here, it's full count Felicia to get the job done. And it ends up being the chalk can be right every once in a while. Full count Felicia does get the job done. 94, the winning buyer. And we're looking at, you know, just above even money there at 420 for the winning mutual. And we'll go back to, we'll, to talking about fastest flight. And you talked about, you know, the horse being dead on the board. It's almost in, in a way of you make a horse on your line a certain price with all the scratches. Then you see a horse get as cold as that one does. Is that just for you? Like, do you bet a lot of those types or is it just kind of like in your brain? You're like, okay, I know that the value says that, but something weird is going on here. Like, you know, I, my, you know, my spidey sense is tingling. I'm going to almost in a way pass the race because I don't understand what the board is telling me right now. Yeah. I thought it was an absolute ginormous, you know, uh, red flag, like be very careful here. You know, I make the morning line at Gulfstream and, yeah. and, um, I, I was, you know, I like to think I did a pretty good job. And, yeah. and I was like, wow, this is not right. I mean, we had talked to Brian. He was confident. The horses, like I said, everything he saddled has been bad. I, I had, you know, readily admit I, I missed. I should have made full count Felicia favored uh, even before all the scratches. But the discrepancy was alarming to me. And, you know, you saw it play out on the racetrack. She sat a perfect two-path stalking trip. The race was very, very weirdly run. Uh, and fastest flight had no excuse whatsoever. And, and honestly, she was, you know, it's tough to say anything other than she was really to be just dreadful in the race. Let's move on to the next race of this pod. Race number 10 from Gulfstream Park. It is the grade three Harlan's holiday. One and one sixteen miles on the dirt. 
this uh this was a little bit of a headache race for me because O'Connor, yes, with Safi has run some really good races this year. But coming off the layoff ends up going out to Mountaineer, can't get the job done, doesn't get the job done at Charlestown. Yes, slow paced race, so kind of can give that one up. Finally gets it done in the Fayetteville last time out. I just I wanted someone different. And I ended up on Grand Aspen, Jose Ortiz in the irons for Todd. I just thought this one off the allowance races was going the right way. Gets gets the win back at Ellis Park now, and that was on the turf. Now in the two dirt races, we see an 88 and 94. As a four-year-old, maybe this one in, you know, the late season of its four-year-old season was getting, you know, just stronger and better. Obviously has a bullet work last time out. I just, I thought this one at eight to one made sense for a horse like O'Connor that I thought would take money and I was okay to try to, you know, beat. It's one of those where, you know, if you can find a couple of favorites you don't like on the card, you know, it doesn't mean you have to skip the pick five or whatever, but I thought this one was a little bit of a, you know, vulnerable favorite there. I also just thought the, out on the outside, lure him in at 30 to 1 was just a really weird price. Yes, was off a slow paced race where this one got the job done up towards the, you know, earlier part of the pack. I just thought at 30 to 1, maybe take a little bit of a flyer here and play this one underneath an exactas, and maybe we can get this one uh, on the board. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I you know, this was going back to how we started the program. This was one of those races, who's trying to win today and who's looking forward to another, you know, the bigger pot at the end of the rainbow. And I was pretty darn confident that A O'Connor was the, the best horse clearly and clearly the horse to beat, but also B the Pegasus and three million dollars, you know, on January twenty-seventh was his end all be all. Not only that, the short stretch finish line of these mile and 16th main main track races we run at Gulfstream Park. Not necessarily ideal for a real nine furlong horse mm-hmm. in O'Connor. So I actually landed on his stable mate, New York Traffic, who, again, kind of fits what I was thinking. He's not really a Pegasus horse. He's been a one-turn sprinter throughout his career, but we've seen it in the past in these kind of funky short stretch finish line races. They can carry horses home. I thought he was loose and controlling in this race. There really wasn't any other speed. You knew darn well he was going to go. And uh, so that's the way I, I leaned. Um, you know, there was there were, there were like four of exactly the same horses in this race, and mm-hmm. yours was one of them, Grand Aspen. They were nothing more than allowance horses trying to bridge the gap. Gasoline, WNL was another one. The mm-hmm. one horse at scratch, Stignator was the fourth one. And they had to all kind of answer the bell, and I was pretty darn skeptical of each and every one of them. And it's another reason why I landed on New York traffic. And I really agree with your overall sentiment that this was a very troublesome problematic renewal of the Harlan's holiday, a really good renewal of the Harlan's holiday, but it certainly wasn't easy because there were just as many questions I I felt as there were answers going into the race. And then we'll obviously get to the race. I mean, am I as shocked as you when I see gasoline go off the favorite now O'Connor's off at, you know, a seven to two price, which listen in the old school books, if you can hit 30% at five to two, you can make 10% return on investment. So the fact this horse now is another one, we just saw a couple of races ago, a horse go up off the Brian Lynch odds. Now this one also is going up as a higher, you know, price on the board. Uh, we talk about it. It's hard enough to handicap it day of. Now you're looking at the board, looking at the race and it's like gasoline, the favorite get out of here. 
Yeah, it was utter lunacy that he was he was the favorite. I mean, I readily admit I was incorrect on on uh, full count Felicia. And I should have made her favorite on the morning line. Uh, there's no plausible way gasoline can be the favorite, even with the you know you always I always have to take into account Irad Ortiz is riding. It's Todd Pletcher. I, I get all of that, but for him to be favored in this race from a less than ideal post position mm-hmm. as well, with nothing more than a dressed up. Uh, Churchill Downs fast figure allowance race win was just, I mean, incorrect. Basically there's, you know, no, no way I could have made, made him the favorite. No way he should have been the favorite. Um, Because like I said, he was one of those four horses I mentioned that all had to prove uh, he could play with this kind of group. And not only that, and I know he was back on short rest in the grade two Clark at Mm -hmm. Churchill. He kind of sort of already proved he can't play with a group like this. So um, that was very, very, very shocking for, to, to be, to say the least. New York traffic for Brian. I'm trying to get a little cute here with grand Aspen or does O'Connor just take it down in what we had already said, a fun renewal of this grade three Harlan's holiday. Let's see who gets the job done right now and the Harlan's Holiday Stakes. The gray New York traffic was quick to begin. They're fanned across the course early. Splitting horses is Grand Aspen into the top flight is Octane. Taken back a touch is O'Connor. Saving ground WNL out wide on the course goes Steel Sunshine. Lure him in as packed deepest on the turf first turn run. Then Blue Devil and Gasoline as they chase the speed of New York traffic. Javier Castellano and New York traffic establish the pace. They lead by a length. Grand Aspen is second. Octane on the outside third. WNL toward the rail is now fourth. From between horses, O'Connor is there fifth. Roughing the outside, it's Steel Sunshine in early sixth. Seventh is Miles D. Eighth on the outside, lure him in. Ninth is Blue Devil. Tenth and last is Gasoline. 23-3 and three for the opening quarter. Everything going the way of New York traffic early. He has the lead, and he's got him stacked and packed behind him. Grand Aspen is second toward the inside. WNL out the center goes Octane. Splitting horses O'Connor. Steel Sunshine asked to quicken. Outside him, it's lure him in. Moving out the rail, Blue Devil. Dropping back is Miles D, and Gasoline went by him. They went 47 seconds for the opening half mile. Here's Jose Ortiz on Grand Aspen. Turning up the heat on New York traffic. These two are stride for stride. A length and a half in front of O'Connor, who's together with Octane. O'Connor's going to try to thread the needle here. They went three quarters in one ten and four. Grand Aspen has the lead. O'Connor has secured the inside spot, but he's a length and a half behind. From the outside, it's Octane. Nobody running home from the back. We're down to two chances here. Off the turn and the stretch drive. The leader is Grand Aspen. On the inside, O'Connor has a 16th to get by. New York traffic back running again. Funnel 16th of a mile. New York traffic not done. He's closing ground. O'Connor finishing up toward the rail. Here's O'Connor inside. O'Connor gets up to it. And it ends up being O'Connor does get the job done. 100, the winning buyer. Nice little price, 920, if you think it's the best horse in the race. Uh, I get B at the wires. That kind of sucks. And, uh, you know, we just we just move along. Gasoline, uh, like we had talked about, you know, just in the, in the preamble. Bad post, goes off short price. Now I guess we kind of hope this one ends up in maybe a listed stake next time, maybe on Pegasus weekend or whatever, and gets an inside post. Now we might be cooking with some gasoline here with that runner yeah this is such a cool race to, we could dissect this race for the entire show yeah. um because nobody did any running from the back <laughs> um grand aspen was like literally two to five off the far turn and new york traffic was defeated and done and was going to be third and then all of a sudden o'connor was not finding 
And then in mid-stretch, Grand Aspen kind of gave it up, and it looked like actually New York traffic, who was you know dead off the far turn, was going to win the race. And then, lo and behold, there comes O'Connor up the fence um, and gets it done at a trip that you know he is not his best. So you say, wow, going forward, I mean, in the Pegasus, boy, he's going to be tough to beat. But then you kind of can play the other, you know, devil's advocate and say, oh, boy, this nobody really did a lot of running in this race. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he just was a better horse and kind of outlasted or outgamed everyone. But I, I don't it's 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 I, I don't have a field for you for the Pegasus, but I, I would be I would be comfortable betting the, the bar tab. None of these three horses are going to win the, the Pegasus. I, I will not be picking any of them. I can tell you that much. To me, this race was so weird. And thanks for saying the horse was two to five as, as I also thought the horse was going to be pretty good. Yeah. I didn't um, have them. And I was like, all I had was in my, in my rainbow, all I had was the uh, O'Connor in New York traffic and off yeah. the far turn. I said, well, that's all done. <laughs> uh, I wonder if, you know, we, we always talk about distance limitations, et cetera. Obviously, these horses have all run these distances before. Maybe O'Connor finding in the mid-stretch. I've always said that when people say, like, oh, horses with distance limitation. I said, the whole race doesn't matter. It's about, like, from the halfway like halfway down the stretch. If horses are finding or horses aren't finding, that's where you find out distance limitations. And the fact that O'Connor beat these two, I have the exact same feeling you do. I don't think this field, you know, listen, at the end of the day, it's it's a grade three. Most grade threes now in listed stakes are about the same type of purse. I, I don't know if we saw a world beater in here. O'Connor at 80% gets the job done here. I, I'm looking for someone, like you had said, outside this race. I just think this race, listen, great yeah. race, great betting race. When you get a $9 winner and a $10 horse underneath, or a 10-to-1 shot underneath, good betting race. Gasoline's the wrong favorite. This is what literally they make the handicapping books about is this type of race. But, yeah, he's the only horse that I could give any thought yeah. to going forward because it, it, I can't – I don't think you can use distance limitations in this race yes. because it it's a short stretch finish line race. It's almost like a seven for a long race to me. Um, so I just feel like Grant Aspen – I know he's got room to improve and it was his first – I think it was his first stake start. So I don't want to beat up on him too bad, but you're supposed to see it out if you're going to be a, you know, a Pegasus kind of horse – he couldn't do it. And then there's New York traffic actually coming back at the, in mid stretch. I thought he was going to win. So again, I, I, to me, there's more red flags than, than green ones coming out of this race. O'Connor would be the only, only, only horse I would entertain going forward. Grand Aspen for me. And then we'll move on to the next race. Grand Aspen to me feels like a horse that will run on the Pegasus finish like eighth beaten by double digit length, name your margin. And then when we get out of the championship meet and they come back again, he's going to win some random listed stake at like six to one, four <laughs> races from now. And that'll be like, this is the one race where I guess he kind of showed some class and he'll win farther down in the, in the year for sure. That's the way I look at that. I mean, he's got upside. He could, he's with a hall of fame trainer. He, he could, and, and, and it's definitely possible, but I don't think it'll be on January 27th. I agree with you there. Let's move on to the last race of the pod. The last race of the cart as well. Race number 11 from Gulfstream Park. The grade two Fort Lauderdale. One and one eighth miles on the turf. I uh, I kind of went a, a little weird in this race. I went with some horses that were definitely higher up on the board. Running B for Chad Brown. Uh, 0 for 7 right now at Gulfstream at the meet. 
This horse had all the figures, ran that nice figure, last time out, won by a ton with Irat. I know this horse is going to take money. I'm almost at the point where I have to bet against these type of horses, and when they beat me 30% of the time, just hope I find the right horses when they do lose. And I thought I might have found two interesting ones here. I thought Fort Washington off the layoff here for Suge was a little bit interesting. Yes, was running in these optional 62s, but I thought the figures made sense. This horse is literally in the last six races ran five nineties and the figures fit right underneath running B who maybe second <coughs> off of a long layoff might not find everything to its liking, but my main pick on top, a horse that uh, does very good at Gulfstream park, uh, two wins in a second, three starts main event, Javier Castellano, George Weaver. Uh, this is just an angle I found towards the end of the year. And I just wonder if people just forget horses that, race at Gulfstream Park, then go away to New York, go away wherever, and then come back. If those races look halfway decent in the running lines and in the PPs, these horses go off at just bizarre odds. The horse obviously likes Gulfstream Park. We don't know how Chad's going to do off the layoff. Listen, he does great off the layoff, but I just had some weird ideas. The buyers didn't make sense for that horse, but if this horse is improving and runs a 95 less amount of aqueduct, why can't this horse do that here? And I thought it, uh, eight to one main event made, you know, a decent chance in here. Definitely. I was going to have him lower on my odds board. And I thought for Washington was interesting too. So I just dutched these two horses, the four main event and the six for Washington. Yeah, this is a race that, that, I mean, I thought running B was a lead pipe since he was a single and everything I had, I was alive in the rainbow to him. Uh, and he was the only horse I used, only horse I wanted to use. But if you take a if you take a faulty view of him, um, then the race really opens up. You know, main event certainly with the experience in, at Gulfstream Park uh, made a lot of sense. And and uh, you know, there were some others in there that were kind of fringe contenders that needed to step up. Fort Washington being one of them. But I just felt like running B off the, the, the race at Aqueduct was breathtaking. And, you know, he was loose and controlling speed in this race. And, you know, with an alert beginning, I just felt like he would just run this field into the ground um, because I, I felt like he was a legitimate graded stakes horse. I was yeah. not really sure anybody else in here was a legit graded stakes horse. And I think for me too, and listen, it's a small sample. Seven starts is not a big sample. Chad should win more than, he shouldn't be 0 for 7, and just for someone of his caliber to do that, and yes, there. if you look at the um, like how many running lines throughout five years, I'm sure Chad's lost 20 in a row. I just didn't want to take a horse that I knew was going to be super low. And again, we go back to almost something we've been talking about the whole podcast. This horse was not under even money. Hello? Like, if this horse is supposed to win by that much, shouldn't this horse be under even money? This is another one that I, I think just people were staying away from and it was real weird to me yeah he was six to five in a in a nine horse race for, out of a one x race so i think they bet him pretty hard actually i think he was he was crazy live in the race i mean he was i, I would have been more worried if he was three to one that would have been worrisome for me i i thought he was you know i couldn't make him that low because it's just yeah. not you bottom out everybody but i thought he was very very I thought he was bet off the board at six thirteen to ten in a, a nine horse race yeah. trying stakes company off a one X. So that wasn't a, that wasn't a worry at all for me in this spot at least. It's going to be main event and Fort Washington for myself. Running B trying to get it done for Brian. Let's see who gets it done in the Fort Lauderdale 
right now. Rotters away at a grade two Fort Lauderdale. Good start for Jerry the Nipper from down toward the inside. In the center, main event is offensive-minded. Here's the favorite tugging early. Running B is up on the outside. Grand Sonata secures the rail spot, and in between horses, Stone Age is up on heels, a length in front of King Max. Well settled behind the speed is Fort Washington. He's racing together with Red Run. The early trailer is Marwad. In the run to the first turn, setting up shop up front, it's main event, and Javier Castellano in front by a length and a quarter. From the inside, that's Jerry the Nipper, a joint second. The race favorite is up on the outside, running B. He's now between horses, and fourth is Stone Age, then Grand Sonata, followed outside by King Max. It's a gap of two to Fort Washington, together with Red Run, and the trailer remains Marwad. The quarter time was 23-4, and four, less than six furlongs to go. Main event makes the fractions his length in front. Running B is second, Jerry the Nipper third. Stone Age between horses, he's now fourth. He's only two and a half lengths off the lead, well in a bit tight. Back from there, Grand Sonata, pink colors, about six lengths behind. Then King Max racing together with Fort Washington. Out the back, the trailer is Marwad. Jerry the Nipper got shuffled back to fifth as main event hits the far turn, a length on top. Stone Age still under tight Johnny V handling. Up on the outside, Running B's been given the cue to make ground. In fact, Running B is asked to quicken, and he hasn't gained on main event yet. From the outside, Red Run, Fort Washington with him. King Max between horses. Jerry the Nipper, who got shuffled back, now he hunts racing room. Grand Sonata is next. Who do you like here? Off the turn on the stretch drive. Main event has the lead. King Max asked to quicken by Egan. He's coming on down the center. Eighth of a mile to go. Here comes King Max after main event who tries to turn him away. Main event is almost home. King Max surging at him on the outside. Main event. King Max, a thrilling Fort Lauderdale. It's a photo finish. And it is main event. Gets the job done. 96, the winning buyer. $25, the winning mutual. Uh, I guess it just, you know, when you're, like you had said, if the horse is not going to run to the way you think it's going to run, the horse finishes, you know, the bottom half of the of the race, this race is wide open. And I guess, you know, what, what is it? The, the clock finds the right time twice in a day, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the whole complexion of the race changed when running B didn't really break. And Javier Castellano board made a bet and did a great job because, um, he was the only other speed in the race and yeah. running B did broke flat footed and, and, you know, lost a few lengths at the start and Javier caught a little bit of a flyer and to his credit, he took the initiative and he, and he knew there was only other one other speed in the race. When that speed doesn't break, he's got a, a real a legitimate horse and uh, he rode, he rode a great race to take advantage of what the hand that was dealt to him and, and then just kind of was able to slow him down a little bit. And, and uh, when they hit the far turn on a course that is very, very speed favoring, um, you know, Javier had something left. Yeah. I actually talked to him after the race and he said, I thought I was going to win comfortably. Um, and then he dug in too, and, and to his credit, cause Kings max was flying, but this was a real, um, this is, you know, there's a million reasons why Javier is in the Hall of Fame. This is one of them. He, he put on a real, real good ride here. I think, too, and obviously we brought up running B, finishing, or not really starting all that well. You look through the running lines. I mean, this one did win off the pace, you know. Yeah, maiden, she was dreadful. In the maiden special yeah. way. I, I just wonder, this one going forward, we've, we've been talking every race. We're kind of finding the horses that we can bet back next time. I just wonder if this is going to be one that it's not so much about where they place this horse, but if this horse can just keep, keep getting clean breaks. Cause we always have those guys. They win the maiden, they win the N one X. Then all of a sudden they can't break well. And they just never seem to get up for the competition when it comes to the grand stake races. Yeah. I mean, listen, like I said, I, I loved him. I thought he was a, a lock and, and I thought he was the, the clear 
speed of the speed and clear controlling speed of the race. With, with all that being said, I know he didn't have an ideal beginning. He was two and three wide off of a, a loose leader who was 11 to one throughout the way. And he was done before they hit the far turn. So um, I, I would have liked to have seen him break on top. I don't think it mattered at all. He was just not good at all. Anyone else you're interested in coming back to this race? Uh, my other horse, Fort Washington off the board. Uh, we'll see how this one comes back second off the layoff. Shook sometimes can get them better second off the layoff. And this one, if you just look through, you know, improved last time at Kentucky Downs, the time before that was that uh, in the Appleton didn't run as well off the Canadian turf try. So Fort Washington might be one that's interesting as well next time out. Yeah, I mean, he's just not this kind of horse, you know, maybe in a listed stakes or an allowance race, you could get it done. I'm I'm actually glad Kings Max didn't win because I had big notes on him at Monmouth. I thought his two Monmouth turf races uh, off the trainer switch and first start in America were devastating. Um, I actually said on the air, I was like, this is a really, really good horse. He's not a great two Fort Lauderdale kind of horse, but he's a really good <laughs> horse. Um, so I was kind of like, in a, in a sense, glad he didn't win because I would have been ticked at myself. Um, golly, though, if you, he's got to go by in deep stretch if you have him. I don't want to, I don't like to use the H word, but he might have hung a little bit. He certainly looked like he was flying by. Uh, he's got a lot of upside, though, so he would probably be the only one. I mean, we got to be honest here, too. You know, the favorite stunk, Jerry the Nipper, who's a fringe New York bred stakes horse, was a really good third, actually, with a bit of trouble. So, again, I don't want to poo-poo anyone that won the grade two prep over the course of distance. But these horses, main event and Kings Max included, will need to run better on January 27th to win the Pegasus World Cup turf. Last thing before I let you go, and just something that I've, I've noticed for, for me being more of a class handicapper going throughout the years. You know, we hear a lot of people argue, is this horse, you know, a graded stake type if, if he is or isn't? Do you kind of feel now with the way the game has changed over the last, you know, even five, 10 years, a lot more trainers just taking shots and it's, you know, it used to be in the books. If a horse had two board hits in a great stake race that you could elevate them to like that type of horse. And I feel like a lot of times now we're just finding horses that in their last five starts don't even have, you know, a third in a great stake. And now they're trying again for like the fifth or sixth time. I feel like it's made these great stake races a lot more difficult to handicap. Yeah, it's kind of like a melting pot of, of everything because let's just be brutally honest. The horses now are just not as fast and quite frankly, not as good as they as they were, you know, 20 years ago. You're seeing, you know, uh, your Fort Washington is a great example. He's running low 90 buyers and, you know, 20 years ago, that would get his head ripped off in the grade two Fort Lauderdale and he'd be 60 to one. But he was 11 to one on Saturday and he wasn't out of the realm of possibility if he moved forward four or five points. So I kind of think it's met, it's being met in the middle a little bit. Trainers know that if they have a horse with upside that they think can run the, the best race to date, he's got a legitimate, he, she's got a legitimate chance of making a dent and maybe even winning. And the other thing is, you know, like we talked about these Harlan's holiday horses, these one X horses, um, it's easier said than done to get two X races to fill properly. So yeah. sometimes you have to go in those kind of races and you got to, um, you know, the, uh, you got to find out what you're worth. And Hey, I guess there's a, there's, there could be worse times in doing it at the end of the year to start a new year and see yeah. what, you know, now you kind of know what you're going to do 
what you can do going forward. If Fort Washington hits the board on Saturday, he runs in the Pegasus. Well, he didn't do anything close to that, so he's going to run now, I'm assuming, in an allowance race, and Sean kind of knows where he can go. So, um, you know, I, I doesn't like you, to your original point, though, yeah, it's not, it doesn't make it easy, that's for sure. With that, I want to thank my special guest, Brian Nadder, for coming on talking all the wonderful things about Gulfstream Park. Brian, what we got cooking? Obviously, we do have Pegasus. Anything else going on this week coming up that people can look forward to? Yeah, I mean, we've just got steaks each and every Saturday. We're drawn seven days out, which is pretty cool. So, you know, you get a, a great chance to kind of scuff up your PPs. Or the weather is, is supposed to be pretty good this week. The turf has been, you know, received very, very positive reviews. Uh, we've got deep and competitive races that the all-star hall of fame connections that we love during the championship meet. So there's a lot to look for. The pools have been huge. We've had some mandatory rainbows that have, that have, you know, kind of hit it out of the park. It paid 31,000 on Saturday, mm-hmm. which was a mandatory day. Uh, and there'll be one in the very, very near future as well. And, you know, uh, Spence, it's, it's never, never too early to talk Pegasus. And on Saturday we'll be three weeks away and, you know, the field is going to start, taking shape. I actually believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe they sent out the initial list of nominations today. So we're going to start getting more, more, you know, focus and more definitive who's in and who's out uh, on the three Pegasus World Cup races. Obviously the big one, but the turf and the Philly and Mare turf as well, which Mm -hmm. is elevated, graded up this year. So yeah, we're pretty amped up. It's a, it's a fun time down here. We'll have to have you back on the show in those three short weeks, but thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man, you got it. So good to speak for you and happy holidays and new year. And uh, let's do it again soon. For sure. One who listens to this podcast and the rest of the podcast on the, the money media network. Also want to thank my special guest, Brian Natto for coming on talking all things Gulfstream park with myself. This show is better production of the money media in the money media's present is Peter Thomas Forentel. Our chief radio officer is Jonathan Kinchin. Our in the money media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.